This is the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show number 48, Diesel Punk Special Edition with our good friend and advocate, Ariana Sophia Abermurray. We talk about every aspect of the diesel punk culture, from the origins of the word punk, to where her ideas for her fashions come from, to the incredible community we all belong to. The Fedora Chronicles Radio Show is brought to you by you, our listeners, in various ways. You can easily send us a few bucks via our new PayPal feature. The link is paypal.me slash Fedora Chronicles. It's the fastest way to keep this podcast on the air. And a very, very special thanks and thank you to all the people who have contributed so far. We're also brought to you via our Amazon link. Click any of the links to Amazon via our pages and then just continue to shop just the way you always do. We get a little something from Amazon at no added cost to you. Products are delivered right to your door while we get a little kit back. It's a trilogy of win for everybody. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is also brought to you by our products at Zazzle. Right now we are featuring our Fedora Skull Wings collection on various items from shirts, mugs, and now flasks. And coming soon, drinking glasses. One final thing, click on our vendors link on our navigation bar on our website. You'll find a handful of quality Fedora vendors and hatters with really great products. Treat yourself to a brand new Fedora through outfits that have been pre-approved by you members of the Fedora Chronicles community. So, without further ado, here is our very special guest, Ariana Sophia Abermurray. Hey, hello. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. <laughs> I'm grateful to be feeling better, that's for sure. <laughs> that's that's great. Wow, and already this is perfect radio because you knew it was me just when you when you picked up the phone. That's cool. <laughs> I went ahead and entered you in my contact information, and then that way, however we needed to communicate this morning to get things set up, I would be able to do so easily. No, of course. But thank you for sending me your number. <laughs> like I had said, that um, I, I think it's just really important to um, talk to the important movers and shakers on um, on the internet who are doing everything that they can to keep some aspect of retro alive, whether it's diesel punk or whether it's people who have film noir, um, uh, 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 movie clubs or screenings or stuff like that. And of course, obviously I was, um, writing a list of all the people who I wanted to interview, um, before the end of 2015 and you are second on the list. So, and, and, uh, I, I'm just so grateful that you were able to find the time to do this. I'm grateful that you would even consider me. I'm so new to what I'm involved in right now that it didn't occur to me. I figured it would be five years before anyone really noticed anything that I was doing. <laughs> so I'm actually very flattered and honored that you would even consider me at all. To be second on the list blows my mind. <laughs> well, the, Thank you. Well, the thing is, is that Harrison Ford is not returning any of my phone calls or any of my messages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
on. So absolutely here. So, well, let's start with the beginning. Um, introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, tell us a little bit about your background as far as like where you grew up and, and what were you like in school and what were your interests back then? Okay. My name is Irina Sofia Albamare. I'm also known as Irina Albion. You can just call me Irina for short. Um, my background has mostly taken place in Northern California. I traveled a great deal in Northern California uh, during the 70s, actually, when I was a very young child. And that had a direct impact on my lack of social skills and my education. <laughs> I'm actually a very shy person. Um, I think of the real world as being out in the middle of the woods. And uh, participating with other people has actually always been something I, I'm fairly reserved about. Um, there was a, I, I'll tell you one story from when I was in kindergarten, actually. I had not been around other children very much and this I but I knew about cougar about mountain lions and this one girl decided to play a game and she said that she was going she was a cougar she was going to bite my leg and I screamed and I hit her I didn't realize that she was playing I thought she was really going to chew on me oh, so, no. this, <laughs> so um, as I grew up in this kind of awkward limbo, actually, I ended up in the gifted program. I was fortunate enough to be in one of the best public schools in the country during the early 80s. And so I had access to a lot of things I normally would not have been exposed to. My first paper was on black holes, and I was 10. Uh, this was timing out approximately with my absolute love, of course, of Harrison Ford. I'm far from being alone in that. Specifically, Indiana Jones. Um, here in Metairie and New Orleans, I'm surrounded by people who are hardcore devotees of Star Trek and Star Wars. And I love those two, but I am far more comfortable in the Indiana Jones <laughs> I fell in love with archaeology. Um, I am very interested in all sorts of things out in the world, and it, most of that has ended up coming to me as I, as I continued to get a little bit older and a little less shy. Um, my family settled into the Napa Valley which is about an hour's drive north of San Francisco. And I raised my daughter there. I spent uh, over 20 years of my life there, and I think of that as my hometown. Uh, most of the people who would remember me from Napa would remember me as Aaron. So, uh, but in the Latino community, it's easier to say Irina. And I actually have been switching gears more and more towards this identity as I recreate myself. Uh, the biggest thing that I encountered in Napa was um, as far as worldviews and, and being around people and having a, a worldly education, as I think of it. I got to meet people from ev almost every country I can think of, and some of them would stay and hang out, and some of them would just pass through. I worked at a new used and antique bookstore in downtown Napa for a while, and it exposed me to a bigger world, and it impressed upon me that no matter how difficult things are in this world, how hard we can make it on each other sometimes, everybody is worth meeting. Everybody is worth a shot. 
And so now getting to be a part of the diesel punk community and getting to enjoy all my weird little interests with other people who have a lot of the same inclinations is that I get to connect with people in this broader world that I have not been able to enjoy traveling in the physical sense, but through all these wonderful people that I'm meeting online, I'm able to connect in a way I never dreamed of when I was a child. So my brother and I, um, I have two younger brothers, and the eldest of those two, we used to make computers out of cardboard because we never thought we could afford to have one. <laughs> so I'm actually very happy with the way things are going right now, and I'm proud to be a part of it, especially Diesel Punk Headquarters. That's had a huge impact on me this year, right when I really needed um, to have this kind of connection with people and to have this inspiration. So I'm very grateful, above all, grateful. I absolutely totally agree with you. I think that the internet has been just an amazing tool to bring people who thought that they were alone in in all of their um, and our crazy interests. Um, and a special um, shout out and thank you and and call out to Andrew Gearwood, who is in charge of more than a handful of diesel punk communities on Facebook. Um, he has just been an, an enormous uh, um, supporter and leader. And um, I don't like to use the word community organizer because that phrase has been so politicized. But the thing is that he really has been sort of like a community organizer for diesel punks all over the world. And, uh, yes. and, and so, um, Andrew, I, I know that you're listening and um, – Ariana and I are calling you out. You have to like join us on a podcast sometime in the very near future, Andrew. So yes, I agree. <laughs> the truth is, and Andrew, as you are listening to this, is um, I I am a little bit familiar with some of the things you're dealing with in your offline life, and uh, the fact that you are pulling together what is steadily amounting to the diesel punk empire online is a, the feat of a god as far as I'm concerned and that we all of us owe everything to you and I am very impressed with you and your work every day and I deeply appreciate all your wonderful admins I love your team and, and keep up the good work we're standing by you every step of the way come what may absolutely thank you eric <laughs> huge huge thank you and hang in there buddy to andrew and i i have no idea what it is that he's going through i all i know is that it's difficult and uh, he is a champion and he is a survivor and whatever it is whatever seriously whatever it is um he, he will make it out um in one piece and he will have a lot of great stories to share which leads us yeah. to the um, the perfect um, opening for us to talk about just the realm of whether it's diesel punk or deco punk or just another variation <laughs> of steampunk. What is it about this uh, genre that you find so fascinating? Well, to be honest, as corny as this sounds, it's actually a way for me to just feel like myself is that this is a genre in which I don't feel like I have to be somebody I'm not. And so I can just be honest about what I'm into and what I like. And it all seems to thread together in a way that makes sense to me. 
Um, I did start with steampunk originally, and steampunk is beautiful. I really, really like a it lot really of is. steampunk out there. Yep. Yeah, as a um, but I I look at steampunk through diesel punk eyes. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense, and so I, I feel I feel like I have to include the first half of the 20th century. Yeah. and while I certainly um, blur the edges a little bit, I I include World War One. I. I think World War One is almost a genre in and of itself, mm-hmm. and um. But I I like all of that, and I like including a greater context. I like deep history. One of my favorite films is actually Blade Runner, um, partly because I think that we are living in a cyberpunk reality more and more every day, Absolutely. and but also because it has a yeah it has a diesel punk look, and so, and one of the things that a friend of mine when I was very young pointed out is that it has a depth of history. There's no isolation to the period. You can't, a true genre cannot be completely sanitized. It cannot be isolated into a bubble unto itself. It is interconnected with everything that supports it. And the people involved in the era who who inspires us now, and that they were all soaking into their imaginations centuries of information about technology, about their politics, about their views of the of fantasy world and spirituality, all of these things were coming into play. And I think what distinguishes diesel punk in more than anything else is that it is an era, even if we weren't born in it, we're directly related to the people who were involved in it. It is a part of our immediate history, and we still have these things around us as a matter of course. So for me, it feels like home. For me, it looks normal (laughs) to be diesel punk. And now that I'm living just outside New Orleans, I see diesel punk everywhere. And there's actually, I'm hoping the diesel punk community in New Orleans um, gets stronger and, and gets more unified and we start doing more things here um, because I think that this is a perfect place for people to to visit and to explore a diesel punk universe that didn't die. And so that era is still very active for people who are interested in it here. There's, there's music, there's fashion, there's everything here for people to want to enjoy, and it's still one of the cheapest places to visit in the country, actually. <laughs> so, a little shout-out for New Orleans. Please come here if you're a diesel punk. You will love it. Yeah, I, I think that New Orleans would be the perfect place to have a worldwide international convention and just, Absolutely. just get everybody like uh, everybody together in the same place and um, just really sort of hash out um, a lot of the things that we've been talking about on the uh, Dieselpunk HQ forum. Uh, I think that yeah. one of the reasons why I think um, everything that you said rings true to me and why I think it rings true to me is that it does have a, a sense of um, it has a sense of deja vu to it. Yeah. There are some diesel punk pictures that I look at and especially a lot of the, the hybrid science fiction slash um, 1940s vibe to it. It feels like 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 that's the world where it's, I originally grew up. I don't know if you believe in reincarnation. For me, there's a sense of I was there. It's like looking at pictures of the house where where I grew up, but other people live there. So much of the the retro lifestyle for me 
his permeated through into my subconscious. I, I dream so much, the, the, uh, like a, the never-ending battle against evil in a diesel punk environment. I think that one of the things that really sort of um, upsets me is that there has to be a distinction between steampunk and diesel punk. And that there are so, so many people who seem to think that they can't coexist. If you were living in the 1930s and 40s and gearing up for the war against fascism, you would be dipping back into making old things new again. Um, Absolutely, yes. One of the things I had done this past summer is I was like, I was looking into the, the history of atomic power. Uh, I wrote about this again on the Diesel Punk HQ forum, whereas it's like, just imagine like a highway, the atomic highway, and we reached a fork in the road. We had to either go with the thorium route, which is like the constant renewable nuclear energy. There was, there was going to be a time when we could miniaturize nuclear power plants that use them for every aspect, clean, efficient atomic energy. And then there's the other, the left turn, which everything was geared towards making plutonium and the energy that we used was just a byproduct. And we just sent that byproduct out into the world in, you know, electricity. What would have happened if we took the right turn towards using thorium? and other forms of atomic energy. For me, that's the diesel punk alternate reality. Yeah. So also love the fact that there's a, a lot of practical science, steampunk and diesel punk. There's a lot of legitimate. Are there any other venues of the genre that you like? Is there any like um, books or television movie shows that you, you think are really influential in diesel punk and um, you think that are essential reading or watching? Um, yes, I, I actually I want to comment on the, all the beautiful things you just said, though, real quick. And uh, uh, fortunately, a lot of that technology, even though we didn't take those turns in the past, are still available to us for experimentation. And this is right now we are in a period of history when we have lots and lots of options to explore. And all of that is still available for us to consider. So, and I think that might be one of the brightest things about diesel punk inspiration is that we have an opportunity to reintroduce through sci-fi and the spirit of Arthur C. Clarke, actually, mm -hmm. is that where we can influence a lot of where technology goes, goes to from here by what turns us on. And so when we look at these options from the past, we can say, hey, but now... We have this, and that can make it safe. Or why don't we go back, you know, and reconsider these options because we didn't explore that fully because there was money or politics or something at mm -hmm. the time that no longer are having, that no longer inhibiting us the same way. So I love that. I love that, and that is possibly one of my favorite things about what we're doing is that we could actually have a very powerful impact on where our a real world ghost from here. So, um, as far as the, um, let's see, media influencing the genre right now, um, I really, I don't do TV. I don't have cable. I, I rely on my daughter's Netflix streaming. <laughs> and then we had a friend, <laughs> we had a friend um, who had HBO to go, and we were doing kind of like this group thing for Game of Thrones, of course, because that mm -hmm. that's the one cable show I can't get through Netflix. Um, but, so I don't, when I sit down, we tend to marathon things, and I would say that my, my top show 
for this is Peaky Blinders. Uh, Peaky okay. Blinders blew, blew my mind. Is that, and one of the things that I love about it is that, um, you know, it starts off right right after World War One, going into the 20s. And um, I, I should, I should state this. I love flapper girls, but mm-hmm. I'm not a flapper. And one of the things Peaky Blinders does is it shows you a much broader spectrum of what was going on in the 20s. Um, it shows the beginning of the Bohemian movement. It shows what was going on, you know, with with unionization and with street gangs and with all kinds of things that are just amazing. And it actually focuses on uh, Roma, uh, the gypsies, as a which nobody, nobody wants to touch that. <laughs> and that's actually a yeah. huge part of the show. So I, I love, um, I love everything about it. I think that the scoring is brilliant. I think that the look they've achieved for that is phenomenal. So I, I check all the time. I've, I've gotten to see the first two seasons that are available on Netflix, and I every, you know, like every week, and I'm hoping that that will pop up right now. And so um, I'm actually really missing it. So I, my top three shows are Peaky Blinders, Walking Dead, and Game of Thrones. If you can get those three, you can figure me out any day of the week. <laughs> but Peaky Blinders for this genre, I think, is probably untouched yep. as far as current current media it's it's amazing and i would definitely encourage people to look at that more and more um on on the other end of the spectrum i just recently took a peek at gotham Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. of course i love the idea of gotham i love i you know batman (laughs) i love uh murder mysteries anything you are you know um but, and the thing that struck me about Gotham is that I only got a few episodes in and then other things happen, so I need to go back and give it more time to develop. I think that there's an enormous amount of room to grow there story-wise and performance-wise. I think everybody in it and contributing to it is talented and that they need to explore the space, go ahead and, and push it a little bit harder that said, um, the settings and the costuming, the, everything that, as far as the environment goes, is mind-blowingly gorgeous. I could, I could step into that world, and you couldn't pay me to come back. <laughs> it is magnificent. So, and I would like to see a lot more done with that as well, and so where people really take the time to develop those, those beautiful details. I love material culture. I, I don't care if people think that I'm materialistic or superficial because I love the sensuousness of beauty, of art, of the way that we express ourselves, the way we decorate ourselves in our environment. I think that's important. And I think that that's something that in diesel punk we should especially draw attention to and cherish because so much material culture during the, the era that inspires us was just amazing. It was so innovative and so fresh and and so forward moving that mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the momentum that we're riding on now still stems from that. And Gotham flaunts that brilliantly. So those are my two that I really want to promote. <laughs> I, I, I think that you have really done a really great service for Peaky Blinders because I'm not sure if enough diesel punkers know about it. And I do think that it's it's another one of those shows that people should really, really sort of uh, get into and look at. 
Um, my wife just started um, re-watching um, Miss, uh, Miss Fisher Mysteries. And that, oh, yes. And, and uh, here, here's a woman who is, um, um, she's not super young. But she's not super, she's no Angela Lansbury either. I think that she's Mm -hmm. in her late 30s, early 40s. But she's an independent woman of means. She does, she she fits the description of a a flapper, you know, right down from the way that she dresses to her haircut. But she's also a, um, she's able to hold her own in her her industry of being a, a private detective. Um, and she's able to work with the police and she's not, she's not a shrinking violet. She's not somebody who is staying home and, um, she's not stuck in the kitchen barefoot, um, making biscuits for her man. Um, she is, she's out there. She's a, she's a go getter. And the, on so many different levels, I think that Miss Fisher is such a positive role model that, um, I think that she needs to be celebrated more in the media. Because here's a woman who is not afraid to speak her mind in a period where, you know, women were more like um, um, house slaves or trophies. And, and she's, she's none of that. And she is sort of, she's breaking down a lot of barriers. You can be a middle-aged woman and have adventures. You can be a single woman and have adventures back in the, back in the 20s and 30s. I think, that's a, I think that that's a very powerful show. And, um, and I really appreciate Netflix for, um, for airing that. Um, but I, I have a sad confession to make. I am really late to the Walking Dead party. <laughs> I just started to binge watch all the past episodes on Netflix. And it was like, because the thing is, is that I, I, can, only, I can only handle one, one intense show. And it was just like, um, and it's like when it's time for Mad Men, it's time for Mad Men. And when it's time for um, Breaking Bad, it's time for Breaking Bad. And it's like, and I didn't want anything else to sort of like, and I'm also like a college student again. Um, and it was just like, I didn't want to get into another show and have that distract me from my schoolwork. And now that it's like I'm watching The Walking Dead, it was uh-huh. it was just like I I don't have the pain and suffering of having to wait a week for the next episode, um, and it's like, <laughs> and it was just like um, and it was I think that the one thing about the show is that um, they never use the word zombies. I don't yeah. ever. They never use the word zombies. Everybody has their own different word for the uh, the walkers or. Or or whatever we call them, um, I think that I think that that's a really empowering show. But um, and that also has a lot of it has strong characters all along all across the board. There, there's a yeah. there's a child who is a strong character, and he does mm-hmm. what he has to do. There are several women who are strong characters who they do what they have to do. Sometimes Rick annoys me. I'm not going to lie. There are times when Rick annoys me. Um, yes. But, um, yeah, and the thing is, is I think what's so special about Gotham is that, um, well, first of all, I think that Batman is the first real diesel punk hero. Um, he's yeah. the first diesel punk superhero. Um, but the thing is, is that they're not afraid to balance the past and the present, whereas, like, they have 
many of the things that we love about the past and things that we love about the present. I think that that is that is wonderful. Um, that those are yeah. those are really great shows. And it was I think that we really are living in a cyberpunk world right now, like you had said before, because the thing is mm-hmm. is that um, we're able to stream all of this this fresh media. We're we're able to um, enjoy shows like um, the ones that we had just mentioned. Um, but I have to ask you really quickly: Have you watched the pilot episode of uh, Man in the High Castle on uh, Amazon? I have not. So that's something that I still need to get to. I think that that looks like a very promising show. And, um, and it's, su- it's such a perfect allegory for what's going on, regardless of what political end of the spectrum that you are on. Uh, what would have happened mm-hmm. if um, the Nazis and the Germans, uh, yeah, the Nazis, the Germans, um, and Imperial Japan won World War II? And how would that have affected us here in America? And there have been so many um, really great stories about how um, the country may have lost the war, but the spirit of America and the people are still fighting. There are so many yeah. great alternate history stories, whereas um, we, we just won't quit. We will not quit fighting. We will, we will keep fighting for freedom no matter what the cost. Um, and I think it also paints a, an accurate picture. I mean, how, how would I know if this is accurate or not? Because this is an alternate reality. Um, but, but, but the idea that there, there are people who are pick, pick, able to pick sides. There are people who are just generally bad. And they'll pick the, the bad guys. And there's the, the people who are pragmatists. And they will, well, you know, let's deal with the reality of the situation. And then there are the people who are the idealists who say, I don't care whether I live or die. I'm going to fight this fight. And I think that, that I think that's going to be um, a really great show, and I cannot wait. Well, I can wait because I have so many other things going on right now. But it's like I'm I cannot. I'm really looking forward to the show. Um, but I mean, and, but the thing is, is that we also have Halloween coming up, and so many mm-hmm. other great aspects of Halloween. And when you think of Halloween, you think costuming. And when you when I think costuming. Um, I think about all you and all the costumes that you have um, been showing us um, uh, on Facebook <laughs> and all the great, all the great clothes that you've been wearing. Um, so you're going to have to divulge where, where are you finding these great threads? Okay. So one of the best and worst things that can happen to a person is crushing humiliating absolute poverty yes yes one of the things that i do in any community i happen to be living in is i immediately form strong symbiotic bonds with the thrift stores because that is what i can afford almost everything i own comes from a thrift store um the other things were gifts and frequently gifts that are you know that I receive people know that they should be found on the ground or at the beach or at a thrift store. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then I I hand sew. I don't use a sewing machine. I know how, but I just never really did. And so I do everything by hand. So I will sometimes I'll find things at thrift stores that I chop up a bit and and tailor by hand or 
addressed in some other way. Um, I try to find things that I can mix and match and reuse. And um, the, I, uh, there is actually a dollar store nearby, which I normally, I normally avoid that sort of thing, but I was actually able to spend $2 on a couple of items that are actually helping me put my rather elaborate headgear together for the apocalypse on the 28th. So um, these these little things, uh, basically, becoming a scavenger, I don't dumpster dive. That's why I draw the line. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified of dumpsters. <laughs> I know many brave people who, who managed to pull that off. I am not one of them. But as far as hunting things down, the stores, yard sales, um, every once in a while, uh, I've been getting compliments, uh, uh, Anna in particular, complimented the shoes that I've been wearing here lately. I normally avoid high heels because I'm a spoiled brat. Mm -hmm. Those shoes were lovely and they're comfortable and my daughter saw in one of my dance videos that I was wearing them and she's Hey, are those my shoes? <laughs> yes. She has a little shoe library, and she just gave them to me because she never wears them. So I mostly I've been very lucky. It's it's a process of serendipity and um, combined with just knowing what to keep an eye out for. Um, I, being a dancer and a massage therapist, is I'm very familiar with bodies and how, how bodies move and what makes bodies comfortable. And I focus on costuming based on that perspective. A lot of people go for a very, um, I would say, hyper-authentic. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I, I love purists. I think they do brilliant work. I am not one of them, and so I am somebody who needs to be able to move my belly around. Totally. <laughs> so my costume, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not authentic, but I think that it it can kind of reintroduce a lot of design ideas, but in a in a with modern comfort, with contemporary comfort, and so, um, and which for you know wimps like me, that's just going to be the way it is, and so I'm not someone who's going to be all bound up and barely able to breathe. And, so, and I think that was another thing, uh, a distinguishment between diesel punk and steampunk. As beautiful as all the corsetry is, I used to have a corset. I think steampunk is brilliant. Um, but the costuming is, it's a lot to deal with. And, so, and with diesel punk, I can actually wear most of the clothes that you see in my pictures are clothes I can wear any day of the week and I'm perfectly comfortable. They're, they're work-a-day clothes and, uh, mm-hmm. and I can go cocoa. <laughs> I don't have to go corset. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, it's a bit of a relief, actually. So people who enjoy their bodies and so will tend to be more comfortable in costuming that suits them rather than just the era itself. I'm listening to you, and I'm having flashbacks when I was poor, um, and I was homeless for about two and a half years. And the greatest places to go uh, to buy clothes that looked great and were functional, surplus stores for men. If, you, if, you, if you're a man, the best place to go to get really good, authentic diesel punk style clothes or clothes for um, any occasion was the surplus stores and they had a they had a tailor at this one shop where i used to go all the time where they mm-hmm. would actually uh 
all the pants came unhemmed. You, you would pick your waist size. And then what they would do is that they would hem them so that they would match your length. Go to this, this a leather belt bin of all these leather belts that going way back even maybe to World War I. And just loading up on leather belts and using them as, and and the thing is, is that it was it was really the punk look when you think of the word punk. Whereas repurposing and reusing old things to make them new again, like I had uh, a pair of um, officer slacks with like three or four gun belts, and then one belt around an ankle to you know, to, I mean that was a that was a real real punk look. And the, and the fabrics were meant to last forever. Everything was, was coarse uh, canvas or, or wool. It had to last because there are no costume changes in, in, in real combat. And, it was, right. and, 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 and for what you say, go to the thrift stores. It doesn't hurt to just go in there and look. You, and you don't have to pick up any, anything or everything. Just go and see what's there. And if you have somebody who knows how to sew and has a sewing machine, that's the battle right there. Yes. The, the only sewing I'm able to do is reattach a ribbon on my fedora. That's about it. And that's kind of sad. <laughs> so talk to me about fabric. When you start something from scratch, what's your favorite uh, fabric to, to work with? Um, for the most part, I deal with cotton um, and blends, of course. Is that there, being a dancer, there's a lot of spandex in my world. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact. And, um, and, you know, nylon blends actually began in, in the era that inspires us. And so I don't feel it's creative license. I'm pushing it a little bit, but it's not entirely unauthentic. <laughs> but that's what diesel punk is all about, the creative license. Right. And then um, also, actually, I like... I like silks, and rayon, of course, is, is more immediately available. Mm -hmm. um, so if you like silk, and the, um, rayon will probably be just about as good as, in most cases. In the past, and so I had a Zentai, and so, which is kind of the, the latex bodysuit. I was using that for, um, I, I'll, I'll have to explain this in a moment, actually, and so it was a crossover between I was what would become diesel punk in my mind, but I didn't know diesel punk existed yet. Mm -hmm. It was a cyberpunk world, but that it functioned um, visually and, and textually through diesel punk aesthetics. And so, and I had I had written this this huge project, and so that in two thousand three called. Uh, Kugeloris and the Technocropolis Tales. And, uh, and I think it's all gone at this point. And so my file ended up being corrupted. So it's, it's just out there in the ether. And so the, the idea with this suit is that even though it was obviously a contemporary material, it was my second skin. It was a shadow skin. Mm -hmm. And then I could dress it up, diesel punk or cyberpunk or, you know, kind of working that way those directions not against each other or away from each other but through each other is in a way that i find very punk and so that um to the best of my knowledge the the word punk can actually be traced all the way back to puk or puka uh referring to a shapeshifter and so in my mind it, you know there's this kind of this 
Ancestry, too, is a punk legacy in which we're responsible for finding ways to shapeshift the materials around us artistically to express um, movement in any direction. And so, too, that that's, that's the real art and science of what we're doing is, as you said, reintroducing these things from the mm-hmm. past in a, in a new way. And so, but also, um, I think a lot of people ascribe you know, to... Uh, a rebelliousness to that, and to, and I think that that's important. And this was something that I was doing at the time, where I was actually breaking a lot of rules, and so where I was looking at what the art was being standardized as, so that cyberpunk and could be defined. And um, I found that one of the things I immediately wanted to do is blow that to smithereens by incorporating all these other things like you know, what I would later understand to be diesel punk and certainly um, kind of like a fairy tale trash kind of sentiment mm-hmm. and definitely apocalypse, you know, all of these things. And now that I'm becoming familiar with diesel punk and I get to participate in, you know, possibly helping define this genre, I'm drawing a lot on that, um, that part of my life into, uh, you know, 12 years ago where I was first thinking in diesel punk terms but I didn't know I was doing it. And so it was all, in my mind, that was raw. It was pure. I love people who come into this completely new, like, oh, I didn't realize this is what I was doing all along. Because in that sense, we're not conforming. We are defining. We're creating a movement that we feel instinctively and intuitively. When you talk about alternative realities that you feel like you're having deja vu about or you had another life in, it's because I think that, you know, well, that may be true as well. Also, we have instincts for this. I think that we have proclivities that kind of draw us together. And so I see diesel punk being an opportunity for people to weave their own fabric, their own tapestry, and so that we can all participate in. And so this is something that is a beacon for many people. And now that we have, you know, thanks to Andrew and so many of the people supporting him, we have connections all over the world developing this so people can bring this in. And it can be something that becomes greater than any of us. So it becomes greater. It takes on an organic life of its own and, to, and can outgrow us in time even. And we can sit back and have a drink and just be proud. Exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and you touched upon one of the questions that I, wanna, I wanted to save for later. Um, I'm talking about like the, the, the future of diesel punk. You may have already answered this other question that I have or not. Do you ever um, start a costume just out of whole cloth, just just purely out of just the raw material sitting down with a sketch? Just find other items that already exist and then do you just build on them? It's a, it's always a mixture of both, honestly. And so where I will, <clears throat> I do that crazy thing as if we're um I, if i have an idea in my head i will start hunting for that mm-hmm. and um and i sometimes i see that as material i can harvest from other things or you know i have purchased fabric and fabric stores before and so um particularly for for larger pieces when i've done veil work in the past and such, but um, I've made cloaks in the past and things like that from just mm-hmm. from scratch. But um, for 
for a lot of what I'm doing right now is that it is uh, have an idea in my head, and then I am trying to find things that will align with that as closely as possible and then you know some things just surprise me I'm I'm always looking for pleasant surprises <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I, yeah you know and there's there's lots of things out there that I I couldn't possibly imagine on my own but everybody has you know their their part to play in this and so and I am always thrilled when somebody happens to donate something that they think is garbage and I think is just the best thing since sliced bread. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, you know, that's a treasure and that will have a huge impact on, on me sometimes. Oh, I hadn't considered that. I'm going to experiment in this direction now. What does that look like? Um, I think what strikes people uh, probably the most about a lot of the costuming that I do is it's very plain. Mm-hmm. Actually, is that I, I will tend to go for a look that is very simple. And so, um, I, I'm not an overly ornate person. I think the head care that I'm, I'm developing right now is probably the most wild and ornate and glitzy thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's lightweight. And the, um, generally, my diesel punk look and feel is, is very is it very simple, very plain, very comfortable. I would like to expand in, uh, I would like to experiment in a trench direction, and I am definitely going to hunt down some kind of surplus store in the area if I possibly can, because you're absolutely right. That would be the best thing for me, is to go in there for a trench look and and experiment with what I'm finding there. And I know you can get great deals in those places. I doubt every one of them comes with a, a tailor. That's I I was so spoiled. I was so (laughs) spoiled as a young punk. I was definitely spoiled. Um, One of the things that I I, I love this aspect of the entire slash punk um, is with uh, people showing up to Renaissance festivals wearing steampunk and diesel punk um, costumes or everyday clothes. Because all of my diesel yeah. punk clothes is everyday clothes. Have you have you done that? Do you go out in your diesel punk outfits um, to public places or special occasions, or, or or what do you what do you like to do um, when you're not when you're not modeling? Um, normally, I do wear a lot of things that you see, and um, I, the alternate because. It gets very hot where I live now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I'm just in a tank top and a skirt um, and, you know, and sweats. You know, everybody wears sweat here. And the, but for the most part, actually, if it's um, the weather's turning, it's very good now. Uh, autumn is a, is a lovely time to be down here. So I can dress up a little bit more nicely. And, so the, it, and that matters to me. Um, when I'm at home and I'm taking care of things around the house, I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm doing those kinds of things, I actually wear what I think of as, like, Tai Chi pajamas, almost like baggy black clothes and stuff that I can just get crud all over and then, you know, wash. And so, but when I go out, I, I want to look nice, especially in a place where I'm very new. I'm Right now, I'm constantly making first impressions every time I walk out the door because I'm brand new here. And um, I, I want that to be nice. And I think it's also a way of attracting other diesel punks or people who might be interested in that and not know about the genre yet. Mm-hmm. 
so right. It's a, yeah, it's not. Um, I think that it's reasonable for any of us uh, who feel comfortable doing that to go ahead and feel like a representative of our community. And so this is this is a collaborative, collective effort every moment between all of us. And if we step out into our communities that we live in and we. We are proud to be expressing diesel punk and, and enjoying this part of life and other people who have an affinity for this and, and potential are going to notice. They're going to pick you out in, in a half a second flat and they're going to want to talk to you and they're going to want to find out how to get involved. So absolutely. And so I think it's fun, it's comfortable, and it also helps and it helps build our genre where else do you like to go um is there any sort of public forum where you target and you say i'm going to go there and i'm going to indoctrinate or apostolize the decent (laughs) genre and and here's another here's a great follow-up question to that how do you indoctrinate people into the 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 retro subculture okay so we got a two-parter um i will start with uh, I love bookstores and cafes, which of course became incredibly popular during the interwar period. Mm-hmm. I cannot stress enough how much bookstores and cafes came into modern consciousness through the interwar era. And so, and while that certainly had um, previous incarnations in, in earlier centuries during the colonial period and such, I would say for our purposes, um, one of the defining settings for diesel punk is actually the bookstore and the cafe, um, rivaled only by the bar. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and I live in Fat City, which is like bar central in Metairie. So um, anyway, but for me, that's I am looking once I have a little bit more um, money to to actually have coffee outside of my home and and start exploring that aspect as a regular. I need to pick one because I'm surrounded by cafes that are all great. And I I think I've narrowed it down to three at this point. Mm. (laughs) And then there's there's only the one bookstore. Um, It's only a half a mile away from me, so easy walking distance. It is a Barnes & Noble. And while I'm accustomed to uh, being very supportive of independent bookstores, which there's a multitude of still in New Orleans, by the way. That's one of the great things about that city is that they still support actual bookstores. Um, I love Amazon, but I love both. You know, that's, I think we need both. We need bookstores on the street and online. So this Barnes & Noble that I live near is going to be having, a, they're hosting a maker fair on November 6th, 7th, and 8th. So I um, am going to be walking to that. I'll, it'll, it won't make up for the fact that I missed uh, ContraFlow, unfortunately, just this past weekend. But it will be an opportunity for me to go to an actual event that will be full of makers, steampunk, diesel punk, and everything besides. And I think that that is probably going to end up being my sort of my coming out here. And so in an official sense, I will get to walk into that environment and meet people and I can wear whatever diesel punk outfit feels great that day and so, you know I mean it, it should be a blast and I'll actually be able to make more immediate connections in my community at that time so I'm really looking forward to that um, 
and then I'm going to, you know, during the course of October, there's lots, there's stuff going on almost every day in New Orleans. So if there's a, anything that my daughter and I can check out together, we, we're hoping to catch at least one of the festivals going on this month. <laughs> so we'll see. Yes, I, and I'll certainly be sharing any images that I, I photograph while I'm going to any of these events or these venues. And so I'll certainly share online. So. People Absolutely. who come through the area, yeah, you know, that's a, it, it helps people. And it, I think it also helps people understand how to promote their own communities when we share this. Yeah. This way, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, this is my favorite cafe. This is why. These are the people I enjoy meeting here. You know, that that it's important, and it brings it home. So, uh, Let's see, two last questions, and these two questions, I think that they could be just hour-long shows all by themselves, but uh, number <laughs> number one, uh, what do you think about the future of Diesel Punk? Do you think that this is just a trend? Is it going to evolve into something else, or or, or what do you think? What do you think um, the future holds for um, uh, Retrovism and Diesel Punk? I think that the emergence of Diesel Punk was inevitable. I know that may be a, a bit fatalistic for a lot of people's taste, especially in our genre. But um, the fact that so many of us come into diesel punk being ourselves, feeling naturally this proclivity, I think that it was it was something that was bound to happen. It was a culture waiting to emerge. I think that there are many aspects of diesel punk that could eventually transcend genre and so they could actually be reintegrated into regular life in a way that um, that helps, I think it would help kind of reinfuse our culture, particularly in America, with more integrity. And, so, and I'm not, um, I, I don't want to, sound like I'm on this like zealot campaign for diesel pump because I, I actually don't process things quite that way. But um, I think that the more people integrate diesel punk principles and aesthetics and mannerisms into daily life, that not only will diesel punk last in a built-to-last, high-quality kind of way. But also, I think that it could be very uplifting for a lot of communities in general. I have gotten a very strong sense that many people um, are wistful about having that that kind of old-fashioned sense of romance and community and, um, and just the human bonding aspect of it. And that's it's easy to lose all of those connections when we're only online or we're, we're you know, wrapped up in our, our work or TV or, you know, that kind of thing. And so we, we need to go back to the barbecues and the picnics and getting people together and having swing dances and these kinds of things in our community as a regular part of who we are. I don't see diesel punk as staying a genre. I see diesel punk as being a solution. So hopefully, hopefully we can look forward to that. That is absolutely, totally incredible. And I think that, I mean, great, great words to live by. 
Um, but how about the future for you in, in, in general? And how, if, if people want to see what you are up to, what's the best way to find you besides the links that we're going to have on the podcast's page? Um, where can we find you and where can we see more of your work? I would say I do have, um, because you have the, the links and so are probably the best way to track me down online because I have everything kind of laced together. If you can find one link, you can find another. Um, and most people is, uh, are, are fairly familiar with, with how to, you know, look through Facebook about page, um, find Google plus people, you know, that sort of thing. So, and you can always just type in my name. Actually, if you do a Google search for my name spelled out, it, it's the only name exactly like that in the world. And you will find me. <laughs> so that's an easy way online in person. Actually, what I encourage people to do is to email me or text me or send me a private message. And if you happen to be coming through my neck of the woods, I will happily meet with people. And so I don't drive. I walk or I take the bus. And so, you know, naturally, my, my limited forms of transportation in a new area and so cause some restrictions. And so but if somebody is driving through, they can swing by and pick me up if that's not a problem. And I can, have, I can set aside some funds for gas money and things like that. Or I can walk over and meet someone at a cafe. Um, I, I love doing homework. I love doing research. So I'm happy to find places in the area that would be, I, I could custom tailor a visit for someone actually. And so it's like, hey, you like this and I like this. Let's go try this place together, that kind of thing. So um, get an, basically get a hold of me online. And then if there's a possibility of meeting in person, I would be very enthusiastic about making that happen. So, and so that's, that's always on the cards, but right now I'm not a regular anywhere just yet. So it would actually be kind of fun to have people participating in that process of integration into my new home. Iriana, this was a, an absolute incredible hour spending with you. I am so glad that we were a, able to make this connection and, um, I am absolutely going to invite you to come on again as as a as a regular guest um and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us eric fisk it is an honor and a pleasure thank you so much and i look forward to the next time we talk we are definitely going to do that again very very soon so uh well thank you again The Fedora Chronicles radio show is brought to you by you, our listeners, in various ways. You can easily send us a few bucks via our new PayPal feature. The link is paypal.me slash Fedora Chronicles. It's the fastest way to keep this podcast on the air. And a very, very special thanks and thank you to all the people who have contributed so far. We're also brought to you via our Amazon link. Click any of the links to Amazon via our pages and then just continue to shop just the way you always do. We get a little something from Amazon at no added cost to you. Products are delivered right to your door while we get a little kickback. It's a trilogy of win for everybody. 
The Fedora Chronicles radio show is also brought to you by our products at Zazzle. Right now, we are featuring our Fedora Skull Wings collection on various items from shirts, mugs, and now flasks. And coming soon, drinking glasses. One final thing, click on our vendors link on our navigation bar on our website. You'll find a handful of quality Fedora vendors and hatters with really great products. Treat yourself to a brand new Fedora through efforts that have been pre-approved by you members of the Fedora Chronicles community. So, without further ado, here is our very special guest, Ariana Sophia Abermurray. Once again, special thanks to Ariana for a great interview. For further information on her and her work, you can check out this podcast's webpage, thefedorachronicles.com slash podcast slash episode dash 48.html. As always, this is Eric Renderking-Fisk. Thank you for listening to the Fedora Chronicles radio show number 48. Keep your chin up and your fedora on. In the morning.